The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. All right. The Kim Summit finally happened. Now, it's not it's not exactly what we expected, uh, but uh, Kim was at the White House yesterday, and policy was being discussed. Now, I mean, I am talking about Kim Kardashian and her meeting with the president regarding prison reform yesterday. Now, that is one of the most bizarre sentences that I think I have ever said. Is it ridiculous? Mm. I guess people want us to believe that it's ridiculous. I mean, you had a reality TV star sit down in the Oval Office and have a serious conversation on prison reform. Wait, I, well, hang on, let me make sure. We had two television reality stars sit down and talk about policy. And everybody yesterday went nuts. Everybody, oh my gosh, every president has rolled over in their graves. Really? Really? Seriously? Kim Kardashian is just another Hollywood starlet. How many Hollywood people were in the Oval Office under Barack Obama? Wait, Leonardo DiCaprio has more credibility than Kim Kardashian? I don't think so. And here's the thing. Wasn't wasn't the cause admirable? Wasn't the fact that yesterday the president sat down with anybody and talked about prison reform, isn't that something that all of us can get behind? Left and right, I don't care if it was the mouse on a motorcycle. If it makes progress. Kim apparently first got interested in prison reform after hearing about Alice Marie Johnson, and that's who they talked about yesterday. This is the 63-year-old grandmother who was imprisoned for acting as an intermediary for a drug pusher. Now, there was no violence or anything else, and yes, she committed a crime. She's 63 years old, but she was given life in prison. A nonviolent grandmother handed the same sentence given to murderers and terrorists. Now, yes, she broke the law and she should go to jail, but life in prison? Everybody can make fun of Kim Kardashian goes to Washington. <laughs> used to be Mr. Smith goes to Washington. But can we not recognize the case that brought her there? Yesterday, it was either laughs or Everybody was outraged. Jim Acosta, he wanted nothing to do with this. Acosta was irritated at Sarah Sanders, not answering one of my questions. So he went on with CNN's Brooke Baldwin, and he just needed to get his hot take out. He said, quote, Forget about the fact that Kim Kardashian is here today at the White House and what planet that that this is anything resembling normal because it's not. She shouldn't be here talking about prison reform, end quote. Wait, wait. 
Kim Kardashian should not be there talking about prison reform. Why? Well, she's not an expert. That's really interesting. Jim, don't you work for the network that has been giving airtime seemingly daily for months to 16 and 17-year-olds to talk about gun policy? Does that, quote, resemble normal at all? Oh, my gosh. That wouldn't have been normal in the past. And a Kardashian going into the Oval wouldn't have been normal in the past. However, having a Hollywood starlet come into the Oval and talk about policies, that's much more normal than 16 and 17-year-olds given a daily forum to talk about gun control policies. Is this normal? I don't know. How many times have you interviewed Stormy Daniels' lawyer? 59 times in less than two months? Does that resemble normal? Here's the thing. We don't live in normal anymore. There is no such thing as normal. I love this. How dare you? How dare you try to define what normal is? Who are you to say what normal is? I don't know. I mean, it's just, there's normal things and things that are, uh, you know, abnormal. That's, I mean, that's just, but how, how dare you? Do you know how damaging that is to psyche to be able to say you're abnormal or this is abnormal? Who do you think you are? Shut up. Everything now is abnormal. Nothing is predictable. The only institution in the country lately that is actually delivering anything predictable is the media. You can predict week after week, day after day. You can predict exactly what they're going to do. And that is forever be hypocrites and inconsistent. It's Thursday, May 31st. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. So I have to tell you, the uh, the Make America Great Again hat is uh, in the studio. We we kind of, we, we have it in a special place now, and uh, I need a glass case over it, and a break in case of uh, emergency or... <laughs> Um, but I, I mean, I gave the monologue that I gave what a week ago or two weeks ago, Friday that went everywhere. Oh my gosh. Glenn Beck is fully on the Trump train. I had given this monologue. I don't know how many times, nine, yeah, 10, probably. I mean, a very similar yeah. monologue. Correct. The only difference is I wore a make America great again. hat. It really is a great example of what is wrong with the culture. Yes. Which is that you can say the same thing 20 times. And again, there were slight variations, and you, you went with an exclamation point, right? Yes, yes. And the only time anyone ever hears it is when you go with an exclamation Correct. point. Correct. And they, they don't actually hear the things you're saying. They no, just see the hat. No. Uh, no. It really is they don't fascinating. Hear, they don't hear anything 
Nobody actually listens to anything anymore. Because your point was, if I let me try to summarize it, you tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. A, Trump's done some really good things. And yeah. when he does really good things, we should celebrate them. Absolutely. By the way, implied in that sentence is when he does things that we don't like, we should criticize them. Yes. Right? We yes. should we should say things are good when they're good and bad when, when they're, they're bad. bad. Yeah, yeah, this is a this is a tough concept. Yeah. And uh secondarily, uh you're talking about the media coverage being so ridiculously unfair um <laughs> towards Trump. Kim, Kim Kardashian, right, like that's crazy talk. Yeah, she what? shouldn't be able to. She, I mean, Barack Obama paraded almost every celebrity on earth through that White House how for many years. How many rappers? How many rappers and he was doing athletes? Like, yeah, and his stuff was like parties. Yes, like not not actually talking about. By the way, uh, 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 an issue that CNN would have praised oh, yeah. as enlightened if oh, yeah. Barack Obama had taken it Oh, on. yeah, absolutely. Uh, instead, because it's Kim Kardashian and Donald Trump, it's being criticized. So again, yeah. it's stuff like that that your point, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the media is doing such a terrible job because they dislike Trump so much that it's driving people towards embracing Trump, really, whether he has good policies or not. Well, yes, and the fact that things are going well, but and that was they're part not, one. yeah, and they're not recognizing any of it. Mm-hmm. It makes you just go, these people are out of their freaking mind. I don't like all the stuff that Donald Trump does in his personal life, but you know what? You guys can't even recognize reality anymore. Right. I don't want it. I feel bad for him. I mean, Donald Trump doesn't need anybody to defend him. He's pretty good at defending himself. But you actually feel bad for him. You're like, okay, this is, I mean, it's, this is just a dog pile every day. And it makes people say, screw you guys, I'm throwing the hat yeah, on. And yeah. that was the point of that. That was the point, right? Okay. I mean, that, so, that's, uh, and you had made that point. Over and over, over again. and over again, and but I you also, throw a hat on, and everyone's like, "Oh wow, Glenn's like," and they still don't get it. It's like they yeah, notice that you've now done a monologue about Trump, but completely missed the point on it. And they also missed. I think there is a third point, and that is, I told you during the election, and this is like the ninth monologue I've I did on this. I told you during the election, if I'm wrong, I'm going to be the first to admit it. I'll be the first to admit it. You won't have to, well, how come you won't? I'll admit it. And I have over and over again. Two weeks ago from tomorrow, I put the hat on and I said it. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know what? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Millions of Americans saw something that I didn't see. They believed something that I didn't believe. They were right. They were right. I would never have expected. Did you hear? uh, The reason why I brought the hat up is because today is another day that I think all Americans, first of all, Kim Kardashian, we're talking prison reform. This is a good thing for both sides. We all agree on this. The other thing, did you hear that what Bill he signed yesterday? He signed the right to try bill. Now tell me how this is a bad thing. 
We all say this. If anybody we know, if you, if you know anyone with cancer or, you know, a, a deadly disease and they're trying to get they're, tr- they're trying to get an experimental drug, but uh, government won't, you know, let them they're standing in the way in the FDA. We all say this. What could be worse? They take the drug and it kills them. Uh, they were going to die anyway. Give them a chance to try it. We've all said this. Yesterday, Donald Trump signed that bill. You, If you have a terminal disease, if you have cancer, you have the right to try experimental drugs. Now, there's a lot to be done on this, and we, you know, we want to make sure that it's, you know, as safe as possible. But you're going to die. And the media can't say anything nice about that. Now, I'm not looking for anybody to say, I'm not looking for, I've got to praise the president. Or the media really should praise the president. I don't care. Here's what I do care. Is there anyone who will recognize reality? I mean, we are denying reality. You couldn't find anyone that was more outspoken on Donald Trump on the right than me. Would you agree with that? Sure. Okay. Couldn't find it. I'm recognizing reality. How is that so unusual in today's world? This is the way we're supposed to be. Wow. Look, reality, not as bad as I thought it would be. In fact, some really good things. Yesterday, prison reform and the right to try. There is nothing controversial about either of those things. I mean, this is just, it's it's going to burn itself down. It's going to burn itself down. And it has nothing to do with Donald Trump and the chaos or the people who want to burn the system down or the, the revolutionaries on the on the left or it has nothing to do with any of that. America's Americans just want to hear the truth. They just they know what it is. And they're tired of, I believe, a good portion are tired of living in a world where we have to deny what we know is true. And it's in every part of our life. Every part. How many genders are there? Two. There's two genders. Two. There's an X and a Y. It's science. Don't call me a science denier. There's two. It's science. I have to deny this? No, I'm not going to deny that. Hey, are things getting better or are they getting worse? Well, I don't know. It feels like things are getting better. The numbers show me that things are getting better. Now, long term, I don't know. But I can look along the way and say, wow, look at this. Just yesterday, two things that every American agrees on. And they're done. Well, one of them is done. One of them seems to be, you know, who's behind the prison reform thing besides Kim Kardashian? 
Jim Acosta. How dare him? You know who's behind that? Van Jones. Van Jones is behind that. Whoa, wait a minute. He works for CNN. This is a thing that you guys <laughs> always hold up. Here's the president actually talking about it and the Republicans moving towards it. You know, the only reason why you don't report it like this is because you hate Donald Trump so much. I would have been accused of hating Donald Trump. I have reason to hate Donald Trump. If you want to look at it this way, he has uh, he has not helped me and I have not helped him. So why should I hate him for doing to me what I have done to him? If you want to look at it that way, I've been saying for the whole time, I don't hate him. I just disagree with him. But when I can no longer disagree with his policies or that he's not going to do those things, <clears throat> you have to be driven by hate to deny reality. You have to be. The people who are yelling at us all the time, this is a hate crime. That's hate language. You're just trying to stir up hate. Tell me about the hatred in your heart where you cannot admit that something good is happening that you have always wanted to happen. The only reason why you wouldn't do that is because either you're just playing a game, which I think that's the usual answer, or in this case, you're just driven by hate. Now, if I would have worn the hat, well, then. Let me tell you about uh, Liberty Safe. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm, I'm losing my voice today, probably because I was screaming like a 14-year-old girl at Jordan Peterson last night. It was like <laughs> a crazy concert. We have to talk about that. Uh, Liberty Safe continues to just amaze me on the things that they do and the things that they come up with. Uh, and now the way they are making it uh, easy for everyone to own a Liberty Safe. Right now, you can buy a Liberty Safe at a really great price and get 12 months interest-free payments with zero down and zero APR. Liberty Safes, they, they offer them now for as little as $20 a month. Liberty Safe, I've been in business with them for eight or ten years, and they've i've never seen them have a sale like this i've never seen they've ne they've never done this before peace of mind lifetime warranty in-house delivery that is unmatched in the industry you're going to put more things in your liberty safe than you even knew you're going to start going well that's kind of important i should have that in the safe that's why you should buy a bigger one that's the number one complaint should have bought a bigger one now with 12 months interest-free payments as low as $20 a month on approved credit. Act now. Liberty Safe. Best bill safe on the planet, bar none. It is Liberty Safe. Go there now. LibertySafe.com. LibertySafe.com. Glenn Beck. We have an update on prison reform and some news breaking on that front. Uh, Donald Trump tweeting, he will be giving a full pardon to Dinesh D'Souza today. I love that. <laughs> I love uh, that. Dinesh has been uh, very uh, uh, vocal uh, in his advocacy for Trump. However, you know, the, what he was, 
you know, put in prison for was silly. Uh, and uh, Oh, no, it was clearly... I mean, I think he's one law. of the first political prisoners of my lifetime in America. It, it, it was clearly he was a target. Because Rosie O'Donnell has just done far worse. And nobody's going after her. We are so um, thrilled... Monday, I hope to be making an announcement on uh, a couple of pieces that are going to be coming for the Mercury Museum. We have a, a limited exhibit uh, that is going to be opened up for three days. We're going to be making um, we're going to be showing you some really exciting things uh, for the future, but also the past correcting history and knowing what is true and what isn't it's our rights and responsibilities the mercury exhibit part of our mercury museum uh effort it's happening on the father's day weekend june 15th through the 17th grab your tickets now you can just come for general admission we're all going to be there all weekend long i'm going to be giving tours you can sign up for special tours that are be, that are going to be given, you know, by me or Stu or or whoever. But we're all going to be here, and we would love to meet you. It's Father's Day weekend. The tickets are available now at mercuryone.org/museum2018. Hopefully, on Monday, I can announce uh, one of the exhibits that is mind-boggling, mind-boggling that that it exists and that you're going to be able to see it. But there's a couple of other things uh, as well that correct history, correct history. One of them is this letter I have in front of me here. If you're watching, you want to bring the Russ, bring the camera over here. If you're watching uh, on on the Blaze TV, you can see this is a uh, this is a handwritten letter from Thomas Paine. Uh, and it starts out, fellow citizens. Now, Stu, what do you know about Thomas Paine? Besides that he was a pamphleteer, and what do you know about him? Well, the big thing about him is that he's kind of like the left's favorite founding father. Why? Because he was an atheist, uh, didn't care about God. Right. Um, there were many aspects of larger government than the other founders that he appreciated. Right. He was, he was a, he was, he's known as America's first founder atheist mm-hmm. uh, the founding father that was an atheist everybody else was a deist he's a straight out atheist not according to this letter in his own hand he is responding to benjamin franklin and to sam adams in this letter and they both wrote him a, a nasty letter it said how can you possibly you know run the age of reason how can you possibly print that and you're denying God. He says, <clears throat> no, that's not true. Listen, listen to these words. I have said in the first page of the part of the work that it had been long my intention to publish my thoughts on religion, but I reserved it to a later time in my life. I have to tell you, first of all, why I published it at the time I did. In the first place, now remember, he goes over to France because he's a guy who sees the uh, the French Revolution, has an argument with George Washington, and says, uh, <clears throat> "You know, George, we how can you be how can you abandon the French? They came here and helped us, 
and their cause is our cause. And Washington said, no, it's not. You don't understand them. No, this is not the same as the American Revolution. Well, the two people that disagreed were Thomas Paine and Thomas Jefferson. Paine went over. Washington said, you go over there. I am not lifting a finger when you're in trouble. I will not involve the United States in that revolution, even if it means you're toast. Paine never forgave Washington for that because Paine figured it out. He got there and he he saw things and he was trying to write all the pamphlets defending the rights of the of the French and that this revolution was just. And then they bring out the guillotines, by the way. That's another thing that we have at the museum, a French guillotine. Uh, it, uh, unbelievable stuff that you, you just don't want to miss at this museum. So he sees the guillotines come out and he's like, guys, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what, are you, what are you doing? This wasn't part of the American Revolution. Then he sees that they desecrate the Cathedral of Notre Dame and they, they name it the Temple of Reason. And by the end of it, there are orgies on the altars. There are you know, it, we're talking human sacrifice. It just goes crazy. So he says, in the first place, I saw my life in continual danger. My friends were falling as fast as the guillotine could cut their heads off. And as every day I expected the same fate, I resolved to write this work. I appeared to, my, uh, I appeared to myself to be on my deathbed, for death was on every side of me. And I had no time to lose this accounts for my writing at the time I did. And so nicely did the time and attention meet uh, that I had not yet finished the first part of the work when more than six hours before I was arrested and taken into prison. So he finishes it and then he's taken into prison. Now, listen to this. In the second place. The people of France were running headlong into atheism and I and I had my work translated into their own language to stop them in that career. So he's saying, I'm trying to wake them up. I'm speaking their language. I'm trying to wake them up and make sure that they don't go into atheism. He later goes on and says, um, <clears throat> uh, let's see. How could you possibly fear, uh, believe that I don't have reverent, uh, reverential fear and love of a deity? Did you not read my pamphlet? And he quotes from it. Do you want to contemplate his power? We see it in the immensity of his creation. Do we, do we want to contemplate his wisdom? We see it in the unchangeable order in which the incomprehensible world is governed. Do we want to contemplate his uh, munificence? We see it in the abundance in which he fills the earth, which he fills the earth. Do we want to contemplate his mercy? We see it in his not withholding that abundance, even from the unthankful. Sounds like an atheist right there. Totally. Oh, my gosh. Totally changes history. Totally changes history. I don't understand how we have that narrative if that letter exists. Which you yeah, are currently holding, by the way. I'm, I'm hold, you will see it mm-hmm. at the museum. It's 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 unbelievable. We we don't know which we're going to um, show for Lincoln, 
But there's a couple of things, you know, they say that Lincoln didn't, you know, didn't care about black men and didn't care about slavery until halfway through the war. Absolutely not true. We have shown at other um, uh, museum, uh, you know, exhibitions here, the letter that that uh, Abraham Lincoln wrote to himself where he's trying to figure out how do I tell the American people that slavery is wrong? How do I convince them of that? It was written in the middle of the 1850s, long before he, quote, changed his mind and started to care about blacks and slavery. There's something else that the museum just acquired, and I don't think we're going to show it this time. They always say that Abraham Lincoln, he didn't read the Bible. He didn't do anything until halfway through the war. Then he started reading the Bible, but he didn't believe in any of it. He didn't. It just was not him. He was an atheist as well. We've just acquired a letter from 1851 to Mary Todd Lincoln telling her who her husband is because I've had firsthand knowledge because I invited him in 1851 to preach at my church. And he got up and he did sermon after sermon after sermon on all the stories on the Bible and he had better grasp of theology and God than any preacher I've ever heard. So wait a minute, which is it? Is that preacher writing a lie to Mary Todd Lincoln? Or are our history books wrong? The history books are wrong. They're wrong. Find out for yourself and see things that you've never seen before. Monday, I hope to announce uh, one of the pieces on Abraham Lincoln, and it, it, it is mind-boggling. I didn't even know this still existed. Didn't even know it, and it's one of the biggest pieces in American history. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> hopefully it will be on display for, for three days only, June 17th, uh, June 15th through the 17th. That's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday is Father's Day. It makes a great Father's Day gift. Come to the Mercury Studios here in Las Colinas, Texas, and join us for our Rights and Responsibilities um, exhibition of the Mercury Museum. <clears throat> so excited for that. So excited for that. Uh, the other thing is, I, I hope we're able to show in the museum the ad from Ambien uh, that talks about all of the side effects, you know, may cause cancer, may, you know, not to be taken if you have epilepsy, may also call, cause racism. <clears throat> oh, wait, doesn't say that, does it? Did you see what the Ambien response? Yeah, that was, uh, that was an amazing world we live in. Yeah, it really like, is. A drug maker is, is chiming in on some culture issue. I, I can't even follow it anymore. No, no, but... It's amazing to me that a drug maker comes out and says, A, that they are commenting on an issue that is ridiculous to comment on. And they comment and they say, by the way, that is definitely not one of the side <laughs> effects of Ambien. Mm -hmm. Ambien does not cause racism. Now, were they making a political statement? I think they were. Political statement? I think they were just saying, look, don't blame us. This is not our. It's like every you know. It's there's a problem. Well, that's the other is: are they making an actual statement about their drug because they want everybody to know? No, no, it doesn't cause racism. I think they know. Everyone knows it doesn't cause racism. I think they're trying to say like, hey, Roseanne, don't throw, don't 
bring us into the middle of your nonsense. It's like, you know, all these products, how many have there been over the years? Rider trucks, Kool-Aid. Like, you, as soon as you hear those, you know, there's been so many of those brands, like Kool-Aid you think of, Jim Jones, <laughs> drink yeah, yeah. the Kool-Aid. Rider trucks. What it was, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, when you get sucked into a store that has nothing to do yeah. with you. I mean, Rider trucks, you know, wasn't it, it wasn't Timothy a Rider, McVeigh. Timothy McVeigh yeah. used a Rider truck. It's not Rider truck's fault. It's got right. nothing to do. They weren't, they weren't taking on the government. Right. Right. Like they, but then they, people just get that in their heads. Yeah. And it's tied to it. And I think that's what the state, you know, for so much, for so long, these brands couldn't do anything about it. Like it just became part of the story. Yeah. Now with social media, they're coming out and saying like, look, hey, don't blame us for your racism, lady. <laughs> Last night, and we're going to talk about Jordan Peterson here in a few minutes, but, um, um, I was with uh, Dave Rubin yesterday. We spent the day with him. It did a great interview with him. That you don't want to miss in case you missed yesterday's show on the Blaze uh, TV. Uh, just go to theblaze.com slash TV. Watch last night's episode if you're a fan of Dave Rubin. Um, but I spent the day with him and then um, uh, went to Jordan Peterson's uh, event with Dave uh, last night. Dave opens up and then Jordan comes out. It is one of the most bizarre and best things it just felt historic to be watching that last night it really did it was it was phenomenal and we'll we'll talk about that um here in a second but it's we're in this weird place he brought up roseanne just briefly he didn't talk about politics at all but or maybe it was dave that brought up uh, roseanne and um uh the crowd booed and Dave said, wait, is that you're booing Roseanne or you're booing ABC? What what are you booing? And it was this weird moment of, I'm not sure either. I'm not sure what people are saying. And somebody said, freedom of speech. Uh, and it we, we're put in this position now to where we are so sick of people because 10 years ago i supported prop 8 and now i'm fired for it it was 10 years ago and that's my political view what does that have anything to do with me being ceo we're so sick of it that even when common sense comes into play and says yeah that's gonna destroy abc for saying something like that we want nothing to do with it and it's all because, again, the press and their hypocrisy. If you haven't heard the latest on Joy Reid, who is still working for NBC. We'll share that next. Been a year since the WannaCry ransomware swept the globe. And what it did is it encrypted computers and was wreaking havoc. Despite the, politi- uh, the uh, potential billions of dollars in damage caused, hundreds of thousands of computers still exist with unpatched systems. They're still vulnerable. Get your system up to date. Now, the rest of it, unfortunately, is in mostly uh, your hands on that. Outside of that, there's nothing else you can do. There's so many threats in today's digital world. That's why I highly recommend you get LifeLock Identity Theft Protection, which now includes the power of Norton Security for your added protection. LifeLock uses their proprietary technology to help protect against identity theft, 
like, you know, your your information being sold on the dark web. Norton is joining them and they protect against the online threats like ransomware. And this is why you don't have to worry. It's out of your hands. It's in theirs. They have agents. If you are hacked, if you have ransomware, they work to fix it. Now, nobody can stop all cyber threats, prevent all identity theft, or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But LifeLock with Norton Security is un- is able to uncover those threats that you might otherwise miss. So go to LifeLock.com right now. Use the promo code BECK and get 10% off your first year. 1-800-LIFELOCK. 1-800-LIFELOCK or LifeLock.com. Promo code BECK. Glenn Beck. Boy, coming up, the latest on Joy Reid uh, and Jordan Peterson. You don't want to miss next hour on most of this program. Glenn Beck. Another Russian journalist was killed. Yesterday, there was a press conference about the Russian war reporter uh, that was brutally murdered and at the end of the conference the police chief made a surprise announcement let me tell you the story Bebchenko is his name he was killed while he was on his way just to buy some bread he was found by his wife shot three times in the back while he was in the stairwell outside of his apartment the um Initial reports said he died on the way to the hospital. Now, this is a war reporter from Russia that fled Russia February 2017. He was receiving death threats. And if you're a reporter in Russia, you know, you're not going to get any protection from the police because they're the ones that are after you. His family had received death threats. His home address was published online accompanied by new threats he was a target and he knew it he had to get out so he fled to the ukraine now me i fly i I flee someplace else but where in the world are you safe from vladimir putin so he was shot to death i think on tuesday and then the ukraine and russia got into a spat of accusations and so the Police had a a press conference and the police officials stepped to the podium. They had answers. In fact, better yet, they had a suspect. They announced one arrest. They showed the video of the arrest and the guy that they had arrested had been paid forty thousand dollars to kill this guy, the dissident reporter who was a thorn in Vladimir Putin's side. Then the police chief said, But I want you to hear this story from Babchenko. Okay, are you going to show us video? And like a ghost, this man appears. And he walks on stage and he says, I'm still alive. Now, here's what happened. He said, I, I, I know the sickening feeling when you bury a colleague, and I am sorry that I put you through this, but there was no other way. He's not just talking to the people he was working with. The Ukrainian police had been aware of the murder plot for months, 
And so he, in secret, had engineered with the police an elaborate sting operation. They decided they were going to fake his death. But it had to be absolutely airtight and believable or it wouldn't work. Even his wife didn't know. She was the, the one who found him with bread and milk laying in a pool of what she thought was his own blood. Can you imagine your wife? Can you imagine how much trouble this guy is? I think I'd rather face Putin than my wife after I faked my death for 24 hours. <laughs> there's there's no we don't know if he is still alive today, but at the press conference, he was alive. If he dies now, I think it's a 60 40 shot that it's not Putin, but it's his wife. It's Thursday, May 31st. You're listening to the Glenn Beck program. Let me give you some good news. I read this story today, and this actually made me feel good. Listen to this. Denver police shut down a lemonade stand put on by a group of brothers over a permitting issue. When Jennifer Knowles helped her son set up their first lemonade stand over the weekend, she thought it would be a lesson in entrepreneurship and charity. The boys went online. They decided they wanted to help a child in another uh, country less fortunate. So we found a place in Colorado Springs called Charity International, and they picked a five-year-old boy in Indonesia. But they also got an unexpected lesson. Turns out you need to have a permit to open a lemonade stand in Denver. This is about public healthy, uh, health and safety. Bullcrap. Bullcrap. All right. How does that make me feel good? Because do you remember the days when this was happening all the time? Do you remember the days when it seemed like every day there was another city that was busting some kid for a lemonade stand? And we were all like, what the heck? This is, this is America. No, first of all, Nobody but neighbors buy the lemonade stand. And it's you're lucky if it's a neighbor. I mean, I see the kids on the sidewalk with the lemonade stand and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to. No, I'd like to. I Sometimes I'll just roll down the window and say, here's 10 bucks. I don't want the lemonade. Nobody's drinking it except family. Yeah, generally speaking. At this point, I'm, I'm more scared if you pull up, you're some normal person and you pull up to a, a random kid's lemonade stand, you're going to be accused of a crime. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, you'll, you'll just, be on YouTube, you know, people accusing you of being creepy. Right. I mean, it's just, you just don't do it anymore. However, what makes me feel good is when that was going on last time, it just felt like it was the direction of the country it just felt as and i know it wasn't but it felt almost coordinated we're all socialists now and it was horrible and remember we had the 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 national lemonade day where we we had everybody yeah. you know and people uh, put lemonade stands up all over because we were making the point, I have a right to do this. 
And it just, while it's still going on, it just feels like that's something we need to be worried about and something we need to watch. But it's not that we're not surrounded by Marxists, even though we are, (laughs) that we're not surrounded by Marxists. And I think that's worth recognizing. We still have problems. And, you know, we were with Jordan Peterson last night. We're sitting backstage with him. We're talking and he's like, you know, the the heart of this whole thing is coming out of the universities. And, you know, we just got us with the the university system. It's just going to break down. And there are seven reasons why. (laughs) Seven. And he just starts lifting, listing them off. We're just having a conversation. (laughs) And he's like, well, point number one, point number two, point number three. And you're like, man, this guy is so well thought out. But there was something in going to Jordan Peterson last night that Dave Rubin said to me yesterday. He's been opening for him doing some comedy. And uh, he said, uh, he said, Glenn, there's just a different feeling. You just walk in and there's just a different feeling. And uh, he said, but you'll understand when you walk in. And there was a different feeling. Now, here's the thing. Jordan spoke before and after, and even a little bit on stage. He's like, I don't know why people come. I don't know why this is, I mean, it's sold out city after city after city. Make sure you, I think you can go to jordanpeterson.com and get tickets. Make sure you go. He's definitely coming to a city near you. He's already done 30 cities. He's doing another 30 uh, in the next two months. He is. I sat there and I felt like I couldn't find the right person to uh, attach it to because these aren't right. But it was almost it felt like I was watching a Mark Twain and not because of his storytelling ability, because parts of it are like this so heady that you're like what i i I don't know who to compare it to but it felt like we were doing something historic that you were sitting there listening to this man in a way that i haven't heard anyone else do this was a this was a room full of regular people of all ages black white um uh, young old across the spectrum and they were gathered to listen to stuff that made my head hurt. The first 15 minutes, I'm thinking to myself, I said this to Jordan afterwards. I said, Jordan, I, I mean, I, don't, I hope I don't offend you, but I don't think this is going to come as a surprise. But the first 10 or 15 minutes, I couldn't have been alone going, I don't know what the hell he's even talking about. <laughs> it was so, he's so cerebral. That you're like, it takes him a while before you're like, okay, okay, I really have to concentrate. And then once it starts in, you know, you get that first 10 to 20 minutes out of the way, then you're like, you kind of settle into it because you haven't heard anyone speak like this ever, at least in a long time. And there's no politics or anything else. And so he said on stage and he said before and after, I don't know why people are coming. I don't know what they're looking for. And he said, I think... They're not looking for a political solution. He said, they're, I, I think they're looking to fix their own lives. And I think I told him afterwards, I said, it's very clear to me why this is 
why this why you're t- why you are being treated like the Beatles uh, in 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 England. I mean, it's crazy what's happening with him. And uh, <clears throat> as I was watching it, it was so clear. Here's a guy who has spent his life as a psychologist or psychiatrist and trying to figure out how the mind works. I mean, he's a, probably, you know, a, a Freud or a Jung of, of our time. Uh, and um, trying to figure out how humans work. And he explains it so well, and he's so thorough. And you're listening, and it's interesting, and it's compelling, but it's hopeful. Because you know he knows what he's talking about, and you know he's being honest and and um, clinical. And what he what he says about halfway through, you're starting to you're listening to him, and all of a sudden you're starting to be filled with hope because he really means we're going to make it. We have we're it's going to be really dicey. But he's not talking about you know the economy or anything else. He's talking about you. And he said, you know, when I I study the Holocaust, you could get really depressed or you could see that man always survives even the worst that other humans can do. He said, we're stronger than anybody thinks we are. And he spoke highly of America and and, you know, our rights and our understanding. And he's like, America understands it better than anybody. And he's like, we're going to make it as long as we choose. We're going to make it. And it was so hopeful. I think people are connecting with him because he's not giving you a political solution. I've been telling you for a while. It's not uh, it's it's not going to come from politics. I don't have the answer, but it's not going to come from politics. That's what he's saying. Except he's done, you know, 40 years of research to understand exactly why. And it does go back to what we've talked about for a very long time together. You just have to take care of yourself. Clean up your own room first. Clean up your own life first. And just concentrate on... He said something last night that was really brilliant. He said, people ask me if I pray all the time. And he said, it you know, depends on what you, how you define prayer. Uh, and uh, he said, I, I, I meditate and I, I do pray. He said, but I pray in a different way. He said, you have to be honest first. He said, you have to be willing to receive the answer. He said, a lot of us pray and then we want the answer that we want. And we're not going to listen to you know, another answer. And he said, I, I don't want the big answer because it's too big. It, well, I, 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 I can't do that. He said, so I, I pray every day that I find some small, doable, almost insignificant thing that I know I can do that will make me a little bit better than I was yesterday. He explains, he explained, uh, 
you know, it's it's uh, it's not whether you win or lose. It's it's how you play the game. And then he said, your kid, you say that to your kid. They don't know what you're talking about. And quite frankly, neither do you. He said, none of us do. And then he explained what that actually means. I'll explain it in just a second. And once you understand what little things like that actually mean to us and why that phrase is so important, all of a sudden you're like, he's right. That that works. That's what is going to make it across the finish line. That's what's going to take us. If we understand things like this, that's what's going to help us move in a new direction and and bypass this temporary blip in our history where we've all in some way or another gone insane i'll do my best to share what he shared last night coming up in a second but if you you have to go see jordan peterson uh dave rubin opened up i mean a conservative comedian what uh really great find it at jordanpeterson.com all right if you're hiring somebody you need a better way than just posting your job online and then praying for somebody to see it the right person they got to show up zip recruiter knew that there was a smarter way so they built a platform that actually goes out and finds the right job candidates for you it learns first what you're looking for and then it goes out And it searches and identifies the people with the right experience and then invites them to apply to your job. So it's it's like you have a headhunter. It's going out and it's finding the best people. And in fact, it not only finds them and then invites them to apply when they do. It highlights the best out of everything that is coming in. So you never miss the right candidate. ZipRecruiter. It's how you're going to find the person that's going to transform your business. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. If you want to use it for free, try it today. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Glenn Beck. So Jordan Peterson uh, last night on tour here in Dallas sold out. Unbelievable. Um, he, he broke life down into really um, meaningful and easy applications. He talked about how We tell our children, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. And now we're starting to reject that. We're like, oh, it doesn't. It's whether you win or no, it's not. And here's why. He said, this game is not your life. Your life is a series of games over and over and over again. You're going to be playing game after game after game after game after game. So it's not about this game. What it is about is giving you the best opportunity to always be in the game. And the only way that happens is if you don't lie, cheat, steal, you know, be a sore loser. Because once you do that, the rest of people are going to say, I don't want to play with him. I don't want to be with him. And so he said, the best thing that we can do for our kids and for ourselves is to always play fairly and honestly or we're not going to be welcome at the next game and we've got to be in the game to me 
I don't know if that changed anything, but it's certainly clarified. He, he did. It was a clarifying moment. Um, the entire night was like that. You're like, that's why that's so important. That's why. Now I really understand that, that principle. And, um, and when he, you know, when he got to the end and he's like, we, we're going to make it. And he said it with, you know, tears in his eyes. You believe him. You believe him. And I do. Very, very optimistic. And the media is missing the, it's, what, am, what am I saying that for? Duh. But they just don't see it. Not a word of politics in it. And so uniting and uplifting. That's the other thing that you're going to get from this is here's a guy who will talk to anybody. You know, we can't reach out to the other side. Well, he is. And it's working. And it's it's showing we can have a civil dialogue and drill down to the things that are true and be decent about it. Back. Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. There is an amazing article in the New York Times, uh, How Trump's Election Shook Obama, that has a moment of clarity for Barack Obama that I think is uh, probably the best explanation I have heard uh, on uh, why Donald Trump one. Yeah, the story is focused on Ben Rhodes, who is an Obama advisor. You might remember him as the guy who admitted to fooling yes. reporters about the Iran deal and saying how good it was. Yep. Ah, they're all 27 year olds. They don't know anything about this. We can tell them whatever we want. And he admitted that bizarrely on record. Yep. Um, so that's that guy. He has a new book coming out uh, about the election and, and everything that was going on. And HBO has a documentary coming out. Now, the documentary is called The Final Year. Um, and so there's two things to this. The New York Times story and this video from HBO, which has gone very viral because it is, I mean... I haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen this yet? This is no. So Ben Rhodes, night of the election, he's just realized that Hillary Clinton did not win. Here's how that went. And I just came outside to try to process all this. Um... It's a lot to a lot to process. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I can't even. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I can't, I, I can't, I can't put it into words. I, I don't know what the words are. I mean, it's, that was <laughs> this. Uh, so you, this is breaking news. Uh, nobody else has heard this yet before, but that was actually uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, uh, speech that she was going to give that <laughs> night. That's why they waited until uh, the next day. Can you imagine? That was what yeah. everybody Everybody in the Clinton camp, including Hillary Clinton, uh, felt that way. They were like, I don't, I, uh, I don't even, what happened? 
You know, this doesn't this just doesn't even look right. What happened here? Yeah. They just didn't understand it. Now, the Internet being the Internet has set that to all sorts of different famous sad music from history, (laughs) which is (laughs) pleasurable to watch, uh, even though. I mean, it's very sad, and, and it heart, rips your heart out. It is a little no, pleasurable. <laughs> it doesn't really rip my heart out. Oh, you didn't feel for Ben there? No. The guy who basically lied us into a deal with terrorists? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't feel too bad for him either. But uh, it's interesting to see this because Amazing. he has a new book coming out, mm-hmm. uh, and it reveals some nuggets from right around the time of the election, including uh, Barack Obama riding around in a limo right after the election <laughs> asking, what if we were wrong? Oh, hang on, what? Mm-hmm. What if we were wrong? He's at, Obama asked his aides riding around in the limousine. He had read a column asserting that liberals had forgotten how important identity was to people and had promoted an empty cosmopolitan globalism that made many feel left behind. Now listen to that. This is the New York Times writing that. Mm-hmm. President Obama had read a column Probably in the New York Times, <laughs> asserting that liberals had forgotten how important identity was to people and had promoted an empty cosmopolitan globalism that made many people feel left behind. And he said, what if we were wrong? Maybe we pushed too far. Then he loses it. Maybe people just want to fall back into their tribe. No. No, that's not what people that's now that's where you this is where the left and President Obama lose every time, every time. Listen to what he said. Maybe people just want to fall back into their tribe, meaning there really are bad people. Maybe just, you know, people are just bad. No. The first part that you said, what if we were wrong? Okay, good. That's the first sign of humility. It was, you drove us into this ditch. Go in the back of the car. You wouldn't listen. You wouldn't listen to half of the country. So some humility. What if we were wrong? Maybe we pushed too far. Yes, but it's important, the column that he wrote, how important identity was to people. And he had promoted an empty cosmopolitan globalism that made people feel left behind. This is what's happening in the entire Western world. And the best way I can explain it is because I live in Texas, the true Texan attitude, which is starting to be lost, unfortunately, but the true Texan attitude is they love texas if you've you've ever run into a texan all they want to talk about is the great state of texas and how great that state of texas is it's the greatest state in the union you know that right i mean we're we're really even almost our own country because we're just so great i mean it they go on and on and on however they do not hate other states They'll always say the same thing. A true Texan will always say the same thing. Well, except for Oklahoma. Uh, yeah. they, will, they will always say the same thing. Where are you from? Kansas. Oh, that's a great place, I hear. Not like Texas, but I hear it's great. They don't hate other states. What Obama is saying is, wow, 
Maybe people just want to fall back into their tribe. No, Mr. President. No to all the Western world. We're just proud of who we are and where we came from. We're just proud of that. I mean, how can a man who is so proud and discovered where he was from when he went for the dreams of my father, he was proud of where he came from. Metaphorically, not with a birth certificate. How does he not understand that others have that same pride? And that doesn't mean we we do want to identify ourselves as Americans and be proud of that. But that doesn't mean we hate Canada or Mexico or Europe or anybody else. We don't hate them. We, we, We want to get along in the family of nations. But we are unique, and so are Germans. They're unique. You don't want to let them build a military, I'm just saying. Each country is unique, and what's happening in Europe is, it's not that they hate other people. It's that they're they're English. They're English, and they, they... They have been a great nation for a long, long time. Why am I denying that we are we are a great nation? That we've had our problems, we've done bad things, but we've also we've also done some amazing things. Why should I be ashamed of that? Why am I erased? The French, they actually are proud to be snots. <laughs> I mean, if that's what makes them happy, they're French. Oh, okay. They're proud of their heritage. Doesn't mean that they hate the Spaniards. No, Mr. President, we're not bad people. We're good people. And there's nothing wrong with recognizing your heritage. It doesn't mean that we're monsters. It means we're just like you. When will you and others on the left begin to understand that. And it wasn't even just borders, right? Their entire campaign was designed to to say, if you don't agree with us that evil white men have been oppressing everyone else and that you are partially guilty for that, even if you haven't done any of the actions of oppression, you haven't actually been racist or actually been homophobic or actually been anti-whatever, you're still guilty because you, uh, by association, because of your privilege. And that was essentially their entire campaign. Their entire campaign was evil white men victimizing every other group. And if you happen to be in one of these favored groups, you are guilty by association in that, that uh, culture of oppression. And so people inherently feel violated by that, right? Uh, you know, uh, what are you talking about? I didn't do those things. I'm not that person. So the, the idea that that wouldn't be successful isn't a surprise to me we or to you we i think everybody knew that hillary clinton was a terrible candidate with the exception of maybe hillary clinton and ben rhodes outlines this again ben rhodes is is an obama aide he writes uh, uh this mr obama and his team were confident mrs clinton would win and like much of the country were shocked when she did not quote i couldn't shake the feeling that i should have seen it coming because when you distilled it 
if you stripped out the racism and misogyny, of course, that's what they're going to say, right? It's racism and misogyny. Mm -hmm. But if you, when you distilled it, when you strip out the racism and misogyny, we'd run against Hillary Clinton eight years ago with the same message Trump had used. She's part of a corrupt establishment that can't be trusted to bring change. Yes. That is and the, it, a, actually a great observation. And it's amazing he made it. You know what? Without ever saying these words, that's what Trump was running on. Hope and change. Just in a completely different way. But you had both sides. Remember, Barack Obama, you know, it... it, it, it uh, 2008, you didn't have a lot of Republicans who were really thrilled to be voting for John McCain. You didn't have anybody who's like, oh, I love. They may have been against Barack Obama right. because of because of his policies or Jeremiah Wright or whatever, but they were not for John McCain. They had never seen their side promise any kind of change, and they wanted it because they knew it was corrupt in 2008. And so what happened? Hope and change comes in, but that half of the country was completely ignored. And so it got worse for half of the country. Well, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to find the guy with the biggest stick that will beat you back into the corner because, A, you've ignored them and they feel abused them. They have not seen anything that is hopeful. And at the same time, You've blamed them for everything, everything. They want change, too, because they knew that it was corrupt. And then you offer up a corrupt person that has been in the system forever. And even you know she's corrupt. Yeah, I mean, they, that was their tactic. There was very little space policy wise between yeah. Clinton and Obama in yeah. 2008, other than uh, Obama being against the individual mandate and Clinton wanting it. There wasn't <laughs> much space in between them. The space that they wound up creating was that she would not do anything to buck the establishment. She is the establishment. She's corrupt. She's been there forever. She's not going to change things. That is the tactic Obama used, and it worked. And then they were all stunned that the same exact tactic worked again against the same person. If you didn't want that tactic to be used, you shouldn't have uh, run Hillary Clinton. It's amazing to me how how the press said afterwards, we're stunned by this. What happened? How did this happen? And and they claimed that they really wanted to know. I can tell you firsthand, they did not want to know. They didn't want to hear it. They just wanted to hear somebody. They wanted somebody on our side to vent to. But they did not want to learn from the lesson. And in fact, I mean, we should probably talk about Samantha B. In fact, just the opposite. They are making things so much worse. And they just, they don't seem to care. It's sad. It's sad. All right, let me talk to you a little bit about uh, Goldline. Uh, last night and uh, last few nights, I've been having some really kind of deep conversations with people about uh, the economy and, and what we're headed for. Jordan Peterson and I were, were talking, and I said, so Jordan, what, what happens to us if we have 
if we have massive inflation or if, you know, if we really head into trouble. And that was the one thing that I think made him very concerned. He was like, if if the economy falls apart, uh, especially with high inflation rates, he's we're we're in trouble. Yeah, We've he, got to fix. He's this. pretty optimistic uh, until he's like, well, if there's a shock of a certain level. Yeah, we can't necessarily hold it together. Yeah, he's you know, and he cited several examples from history. Yeah, uh, where that's been the there's been negative factors in, yeah. in, in, a, in an environment. But when you introduce negative shock to an yeah. economy, it gets a lot worse. But he said, you know, it takes about 20 percent. He said, I think it's about 20 percent of the population that has fixed themselves and are prepared. And that will change everything. And I completely agree with him. Now, one of the things that you have to do, because inflation, high inflation, that hurts the saver. If you're way in debt, ah, you're great. If you have inflation and you are a responsible person, it's bad for you. So you've got to find out if gold or silver is right for you. It is for my family. It is a hedge against inflation and uh, insanity. Call 866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE. Read their important risk information, but prepare yourself. 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Hey, there's a couple of things going on that you should uh, be aware of. Today, Hands on History uh, premieres on our YouTube channel or the uh, Blaze Facebook uh, uh, page. Um, look for it today. It is a, a, a different way of teaching history, all through real-life artifacts from the collection. Um, and it, it tied together in ways that you haven't seen. It's called Hands-On History. It's on the Blaze YouTube channel and Facebook uh, page. It will premiere today. You don't want to miss it. Hands-On History. Glenn. Hey, everybody, the most senior North Korean uh, representative to visit the U.S. in 18 years arrived in Washington yesterday. Oh, I love this guy. Kim Yong-chol. He's great. He is the trusted advisor to Kim Jong-un, which raises the question. How much of a monster do you have to become to be one of Kim Jong-un's trusted advisors? Uh, because uh, because Chol is, I mean, he's great. Former chief of the North Korean military intelligence agency. He's in Washington discussing a uh, potential meeting between President Trump and Kim Jong-un. And uh, he can't rule, you know, he can't rule out the possibility uh, that he's really here to shop at Costco for Kim Jong-un. I'm not sure, there, but there's pallets of Diet Coke that are hard to come by in Kim's communist paradise, and he loves it. So now the last time there was such a high-level contact between the U.S. and North Korea in Washington was when uh, Joe Mong Young Rock, I think, I love Joe, he or she is, they're great. Anyway, um, that's the person who met with President Clinton in 2000. That meeting was so productive uh, that we're here now 18 years later, starting over from scratch. And I think that's great. So South Korea considers Chol one of the most powerful people in North Korea. He is the director of the United Front Department, which oversees relations with um, South Korea. He's the vice chairman of the ruling Workers Party Central Community. 
He's also a four-star general. Um, I've heard that he, I think he is the guy who leaves the, leaves the mints on Kim Jong-un's pillow and then reads him bedtime stories, which goodnight President Moon is supposed to be his favorite. Chol was North Korea's official envoy to the Winter Olympics in South Korea. He was the guy sitting right next to Kim Jong-un's sister, which was great. You know, remember all the slaves behind them <clears throat> that got so much attention. So those two were there. No word yet if they're an item, uh, you know, but we'll I'm sure TMZ will be all over that TMZ in the DMZ uh, is uh, it's an idea. TMZ, I'm just giving it to you for free. The State Department has now had to grant Chole special permission to visit Washington because he's kind of on Santa's naughty list. He's been blacklisted for his involvement in the 2014 cyber attack on Sony. But that was so long ago. Sony, I'm sure, doesn't even remember that. And because of his aggressive past, South Korea has been shocked by his sudden willingness to talk peace. Hmm. Now, I'm a fan of movies. And just because you see them in the movies, it doesn't make it real. And it's probably it's probably not going to. Well, I can guarantee you a giant fish face guy is not going to say it's a trap. But I think somebody should say it's a trap. It hasn't always been smooth sailing for Chol, though. Uh, just two two years ago, he was demoted to a three star general. Um, because he fell asleep during a meeting. But, um, you know, the last guy who got caught catching some Z's in a meeting with Kim was uh, executed. Um, and he was executed, but it was, I mean, at least they have a sense of humor. They tied that guy to the front of an anti-aircraft gun and then just blew his guts into the sky. Ah, that's so great, isn't it? You know, that's the way the cookie crumbles in Kim Jong-un's world. Uh, you know, if they had cookies there. They don't, they don't have cookies there. It's Thursday, May 31st. Especially, You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Especially fortune cookies. You're going to be sent to a labor camp. That's what all of them said, but... Um, so on this program, uh, I've been saying for a, a while, really, the thing that kind of set this off two two people um, that I I was invited to see Andy Williams. Andy Williams called me. I was in Los Angeles and he said, Glenn, it's my Christmas show. That Christmas album uh, from Andy Williams was a classic in my family. And it reminded me of my mother uh, for a story we don't have to go into. But it was very, very sentimental to me. And to have Andy Williams call me and say, Glenn, I want you to come out to my Christmas show was so cool. And I didn't do it because we got busy and there was a snowstorm. So we had to leave. Otherwise, I wouldn't. And he died right after that. And it just it's bothered me when we bought Tokyo Rose's microphone. And I found out that she had died about three years before I was devastated. I would have loved to talk to her, but we just never think that we can talk to people. We need to. I want to talk to, remember baby Jessica? Not a baby anymore. I'd love to talk to her. I want to talk to the guy who was standing next to George Bush 
when he grabbed the bullhorn and he said, I hear you and the whole world uh, hears you. Um, I'm going to talk to that guy. Is he even still alive? So I've been talking about this for a while, and I wanted to introduce you to a guy. His name is Rishi Sharma. He is uh, the founder of a nonprofit group, Heroes of the Second World War. He has the most incredible childhood story I think I've ever heard. Rishi, welcome to the program. Hi, sir. Thank you for having me on to talk about the heroes of the Second World War. So, Rishi, you're 20 now? Yes, sir. Okay. And you live in California. Uh, and well, that's where I grew up. I haven't been back home for the past two years. I've been on the road interviewing World War II veterans every day. That's crazy. So can we take you back, Rishi, to how old were you when you started reading books on World War II? Ever since I was a little kid, sir, I've always been interested in World War II. I would read as many books as I could get my hands on. I would watch the television programs. And uh, I, I just was always fascinated with it. You know, when I was a little kid, all I ever wanted to be was a Marine. But when I thought of a Marine, I thought of an 18-year-old with nothing but the shirt on his back and a rifle in his hand, fighting in the jungles of Guadalcanal or the San Gila, this good versus evil fight. And, you know, as I got older, I just really got interested into talking to these veterans. So I started calling some of them up uh, from the books I had read. Okay, now hang on just a second. Wait, 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 Rishi. you got to tell the story right. When you say, when I got older, how old were you when you got older? 13? I I think I was 13 or 14. Okay, all right. So you're the ripe old age of 13 years old, and you decide just to start calling the guys out of the blue that you've just read about. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of the World War II books, you know, it's like memoirs. And so all I would do is I would just look up the veteran's name on Google and, you know, there would be an online phone book and I would just call them. And it was such an amazing feeling that I could actually talk to this real person who I'm reading about and to hear his take on what happened and everything. It made me realize, oh, my God, these heroes are out there. And so uh, when I was in high school, I just started uh, riding my bike to the local retirement homes to start interviewing the veterans in person. Mm -hmm. And I just fell in love with it. And I eventually started a ditching class to go do interviews because I was learning <laughs> more from the veterans than I was in school. And uh, by the time I graduated high school, the local paper had done stories about my mission. And I had people calling me and telling me about veterans they knew. I realized that, you know, uh, I should not go to college. I'm learning more doing this. and I'm helping these heroes. So I made it my mission to meet and interview two to three World War II combat veterans every single day until the last one passes away. And to date, I've interviewed just over 870, uh, 870 World War II combat veterans. That's awesome. So this is, the, you're inspiring, just truly inspiring. So uh, Rishi, um, are you, you're recording these? Yeah, yes, sir. So all of the interviews, they're in-depth filmed interviews of the veterans. What I do is I meet the veteran, we interview, we talk about growing up in the Great Depression, how they heard about Pearl Harbor, but the majority of the interview is focused on their time in combat overseas, and then we wrap it up, you know, with life advice they want to give to future generations and how they want to be remembered. I put those interviews on a DVD, I mail it to the veteran for them and their family. A lot of the veterans uh, are open with their experiences, and they'll let me share it online, like on YouTube, where I'll end up donating it to museums. 
Uh, we're currently trying to make a TV series about these World War II veterans. I just want people to realize that these heroes are still among us and that we shouldn't wait until there's only five of them left to give them the media attention that they deserve because what I like to say is if a Civil War veteran suddenly came up from the grave, all the world's media would be hounding him, begging for an interview on their knees just for five minutes of his time. They'd be using the nicest cameras, the fanciest equipment, and we have this opportunity with the World War II veterans. You know, everyone has a smartphone with a camera. Instead of caring about what the Kardashians are wearing, we should be caring about recording the experiences of the brave men who fought for our freedom at 18, 19 years old. You know, they were, they were men before they were boys. And I, I just, I mean, the youngest World War II combat veteran is 92 now. So I, I don't know what people are waiting for. We, we have these heroes among us. Uh, I just hope anyone listening to this realizes that you shouldn't wait you know, next year or next month to go interview your grandpa or to go talk to your elderly neighbor. The time is now. You know, you can Re- preserve their stories for, forever. Rishi, you, you said you're going to continue to do this until the last one is gone. Have you done the yes, math? Sir. Have you done the math on that? When, when, what date do we start to be in danger that they're all gone? Well, in all, in all honesty, sir, I can't give you an accurate answer when it comes to math. I can just tell you, in the United States, there's 520,000 World War II veterans still alive. About 300 die every day. Um, and that was from an original number of 16 million of people who served in the war. Now, not everyone was in combat, but, you know, they all served in one way or the other. Um, I expect to be interviewing World War II veterans at least for the next five to seven years. Rishi, what is the, first of all, tell me, tell me individually the most compelling thing that you have heard from one of these guys, and then what you've learned collectively from them. Sure. So um, thank you for asking. So uh, I focus on combat World War II veterans, and some of the stories, you know, I've heard from these veterans, it's just, it makes you really wonder just how bad the world was at one time and just how fortunate we are to be alive today, even with all the problems we have going on today. Uh, I interviewed one veteran in Ohio named James Kretz, whose twin brother and him, they served together, and they were best of friends, and they were, I call them the dynamic duo. They each got the Silver Star, which is the third highest award for valor. Uh, They were fighting the Germans, and they took out four German tanks. They were a bazooka team. They took out four German tanks, three machine gun nests, and three mortar positions within half an hour. And uh, that was one day. And then about a week later, they were running through a field and right next to one another. And uh, James Krebs, his brother Jack, was shot right next to him. And he was dying. And they were very religious, so so James was giving his brother the last rite. And as as he was performing his last rite, a sniper shot his brother in the neck again and killed him instantly. Mm-hmm. I mean, to imagine, you know, not only to have your brother be killed in the war, but to be right with him when he was killed. You know, uh, I interviewed one veteran. Uh, most people in the U.S. aren't familiar with the Bataan Death March. Mm-hmm. But basically, we had a bunch of American soldiers in the Philippines uh, during the time of the attack on Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. and the Japanese were horrible. They captured these Americans. We fought for four months, but we had to surrender because um, they outnumbered us eight to one. And they, mar- they made 
5,000 Americans and about 50,000 Filipino soldiers who worked with us at the time marched 65 miles without stopping. No food, no water. And I interviewed one veteran. He said that on the march, if they tried to help someone up, you know, who had fallen down, they would be bayoneted. The Japanese guards would randomly just shoot people just for the fun of it. He saw one of his closest friends get pushed in a shallow ditch, and the Japanese guards buried him alive. I mean, they were inhumane the way they treated these people. And then after marching to the prisoner or war camp, they were put on a hell ship, uh, which is about like a little cargo ship. And you can imagine a thousand guys in the bottom of a hold. Again, no food, no water. They all had dysentery. And guys were literally dying in the ship, in the hold, and the dead bodies would stay there because they were on their way to Japan. People were licking the sides of the rusty ship for water because mm. of the condensation. And then they were sent to Japan, and he worked as a slave laborer in a Mitsui uh, mine for the next three years. Um, those are just some of the individual mm. stories. I, I, I've been very fortunate. I, I interviewed a veteran up in Oregon. He's a huge hero, still alive, and God willing, he will be for a long time. His name's Robert Maxwell. He's the nation's oldest Medal of Honor recipient. And this hero, is all I can say, is he jumped on a grenade knowingly the harm that it would cause him. He jumped on a grenade to save four other men's lives. Mm. And he survived. And these are just inspiring stories. But overall, the biggest thing that these veterans have taught me is don't take your time on Earth for granted. Make the most use of your time, you know, because you never know when you may not live anymore. You know, we're so fortunate to be alive. We need to make the best of what we have. And uh, we need to make an effort to understand the immense sacrifices that the veterans made for us. And, and I would just like to say, if anyone knows any World War II combat veterans, please reach out. The organization's website is heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, of the Second World War dot org. I'm always looking to interview more veterans, and I'm always looking for people to help here in their community. Rishi, I am I'm wow. I am thrilled to be able to talk to you, uh, and uh, we'll be reaching out because I would like to help support you. Heroes of the Second World War dot org is the uh, website. Tell them if there's a vet that you know uh, that needs to be interviewed. Also, you can donate there to help him. Heroes of the Second World War dot org slash donate rishi hope to talk to you again thank you so much thank thank you so much god bless you all. god bless you boy he was raised right in california wow it's huh? incredible amazing kid amazing he's 20 the idea of falling into bed at night will take on a whole new meaning once you get uh, a casper mattress and you start sleeping on a casper they are fantastic mattresses exceptionally comfortable and you're going to have a great night's sleep, night after night after night after night. Casper has created three unique mattresses that are going to help you keep uh, cool at night and comfortable year-round. The Wave Mattress, remarkable technology that's all built in the mattress, and it's engineered to relieve pressure at 36 different points. That's the one I have. The Casper Mattress is more breathable and comfortable than ever, and now loved by nearly a million happy customers. It is a Casper mattress. Go there now. Casper.com. That's Casper.com. Use the promo code Beck and you're going to save $50 off the purchase of your select mattress. It's Casper.com. Promo code Beck. Terms and conditions do apply. Seaside for details.
Xenon's inspiring. That was one of my favorite guests in a long time. Yeah. Uh, he was awesome. I, I cannot believe. I mean, I just feel so pathetic. I, I right. to bring it back to yourself, but it's like, you right. know. 16 years old riding yeah. his bike or 15 years old riding his bike to nursing homes to do interviews with World War II vets. And now that he's 20, he's been on the road for two years and he's talked to 870 of them. I mean, man, do I feel like a slug. That is incredible. Heroes of the Second World War dot org slash donate. Uh, you what help a, what an inspiring that. guy. That is so cool. And, you know, the other thing I loved about it is like, here's a here's here's a kid, a kid. who grows up and, in California, in California and really appreciates the country and what people have done to protect it i mean that is not you could just tell talking to him that that's not a bs thing that's not a no you know this isn't just a project for him he no. loves it i mean I, it's that's so great and he's oh. so smart saying why would i go to college i'm learning more on the road with these guys <laughs> i like that too. you know i love <laughs> that i love that i mean there's a reason to go to college yeah you might I be can't a doctor think or engineer you, you want to be like a marxist i mean that's the place to <laughs> go doctor, but... engineer marxist those are the three <laughs> yeah, things <laughs> yeah if you want to engineer marxism you're you're set uh but uh i mean i i i love the fact that we live in a time where you can do that when i was growing up when i was 20 you were still getting a license just to talk on the air on a on a radio station here's a guy who doesn't need a film crew, doesn't need any. He just packs his stuff in his car. He calls people up and says, hey, can I come visit you and talk to you? He does it. I mean, we live at a time where you can be the master of your own destiny. You just have to have the, the gumption or the willpower or just, you know, you need to be less of a slug than I am yeah. to just get out and do it couple people you might be aware of, Glenn Beck and his wife, Tanya Beck, started realestateagentsitrust.com because they personally were frustrated trying to sell their home. I remember being around Glenn in this period, and he was uh, tougher to deal with than even normal. Uh, it was actually worse. Uh, most people have a bad experience because they hire a family member or some friend that's forced on them, and they're too nice to say no. And you think of this as like, well, they're just helping me sign some paperwork. That is not what a real estate agent needs to do for you. They can do a lot more. A good agent makes a huge difference. A home is the biggest investment we will make in our entire lives. You need to have rock-solid advice because if you screw up buying or selling a home, it can have financial impacts that last for many, many years. If you need to sell a house fast and for the most money, or if you're looking to buy, go to realestateagentsitrust.com. You're going to be introduced to the best agent in your town. This is really important, and let these agents earn your business. Get moving with realestateagentsitrust.com. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. You're listening to the Glenn Beck program. All right. So the Blaze has a uh, has a good story up about uh, Joy Reid. They uh, apparently there's another post uh, that was written. I think this one was written possibly by the uh, by the cat that lives next door to her hacked into her old blog site and was on Ambien mm-hmm. and just started writing crazy stuff. I've seen it before. Yeah, I've seen it many, many times. Uh, apparently, they have uh, discovered 
new posts on her blog site. Oh, no. This one, she was promoting the uh, video entitled Loose Change 9-11. You remember that? Mm, yep. No, oh, yeah, that's the, uh, that's yeah, the, Alex Jones. Yeah, the 9-11 truther he uh, documentary. was one of the producers of that. Yeah. Wonderful so, movie. So what's the problem with that? Uh, everybody at everybody at NBC totally discredited. Everyone at Every NBC in loves Alex Jones oh, and all of his know? conspiracy theories. Yeah, fine. I, I'm glad this is happening for one particular reason, which is to remind everyone that Alex Jones is not a conservative. They constantly right. call right, him right, right. far right. Oh my god, the far right conspiracy theorist. Why the hell was Joy Reid writing about him then? Mm-hmm. Was Joy mm-hmm. Reid also far right? Remember when he was all about, uh, uh, what's her face, Cynthia McKinney? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cynthia McKinney. Who is what, a socialist, mm-hmm. at least? Mm-hmm. And by the way, so, uh, Cynthia McKinney, one of the very few people in, in public life who endorsed Roseanne Barr for her uh, presidential <laughs> oh, run. Right. Of what she was I writing. forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. So here's what she wrote. She said, the fundamental question is, do you believe the official story of 9-11? <laughs> Oh if you God. do, what, what Muslims did it? Muslim extremists were That's <laughs> ridiculous. They never do anything. Never. She said, if you do, great. If you don't, then everything that happened after oh, no. that is called is called into serious question. Serious. Yes. Even serious if question. you're even if you're agnostic or you mm-hmm. tend to believe that Al Qaeda attacked the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and the government had no warning that such a thing could happen. It's worth taking a second look. Yes. No, it's really so, not. No? What? No. I mean, it, people have taken a second look at it. And a, a third look. A thousandth look. And they've realized it's all bogus. Okay, you're right. All on that it. one. Okay, on that one. But they've also found another post. Okay. This one written by the dog that lives next door to the cat, but also on Ambien. Oh, boy. Another post seems to criticize illegal immigrants. Uh-oh. Now, what? What? Yes. In the wake of Hurricane Katrina, she wrote, "Who's rebuilding New Orleans? Low-paid Mexican workers, legal and illegal, <laughs> or the American citizens evacuated from the uh, Is it them or the American citizens that were evacuated from there?" Hmm. Oh, I, ah, things change pretty quick. Yeah, but don't worry about her. No, we got to get she's Roseanne Barr off the air. Now, mm-hmm. again, but, you, you pointed out she did admit to writing some uh, tweets that were called homophobic. And then other, it's not tweets, uh, blog posts. Then more blog posts came out that were almost identical in tone yeah. and message. Yeah. Those she was hacked. So people hacked in many mm-hmm. years ago mm-hmm. to write posts that sounded just like her, which is a really weird hurdle to try to clear because she's already writing those things and she's admitted to it. Mm-hmm. And then some outside source would break into her website and write the same stuff she was already writing. Well, and then to find yeah, out but... that she's also got a dog on Ambien writing about illegal immigrants and then a cat also on mm-hmm. Ambien writing an endorsement of Alex Jones mm-hmm. and his theory and movie. Nothing to see here. Mm-hmm. Nothing to see here. 
It's crazy. And again, she has come out and said, I can't prove that. I've tried to prove through forensics that I was hacked. I, I'm sorry. I can't prove it. Yeah, and NBC's just like, all right. Wrote it. Right. Because obviously she wrote, wrote it. Right. Or someone on her staff wrote it yes. at the very least. And she's <laughs> now trying to deny it. I don't think she had a staff then. Yeah, I don't think so really either. I mean, it seemed like she. They're all written in the she same. Ver- and, and you know, not to be demeaning uh-huh. to, to AM Joy, <laughs> but they're all written in a very uh, poor way. It's yeah. not just bad Terrible. points. They're terribly Terrible. written. And they're all in the same style with the weird sort of punctuation and stops and sentences that are that don't really make full, you know, a, a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, mm-hmm. I, it's hard to believe. And again, it doesn't seem like NBC cares. No, they well, don't. Because I honestly, I think you could totally excuse this. Remember, half, half of Democrats in polls believed 9-11 conspiracy theories at this time. Half of them. So the fact that she was promoting 9-11 conspiracy theories is not weird at all. It was half of Democrats. The the problem here is that she continues to lie about it. Why do you assume that she's on the left? Good question, Glenn. Good question. What makes you think she's on the left? She was echoing a far-right conspiracy theorist. Exactly right. Maybe she was a conservative. Yeah. As soon as she gets fired, she will turn into one. What about her homophobia? There's no homophobes on the left. That's right. She sounds like a right-wing activist. Mm -hmm. You can't be. Can't be. Can't be a homophobe and be on the left. You can't. It's not the blog post. It's her lying about it, right? I mean, she's constantly lying. It is kind of interesting. One of the one of the blog posts that she, that people were going crazy over was her saying that she she preferred to see or not right, to right. see men kissing men or women kissing yeah. women or something to that effect. Yeah, and and you know, is that homophobic or is that just your preference? There used to be a sexual preference. There used to be a sexual preference. You prefer, right. you either, prefer see right. something else. And and I know gay people who are like, I look, oh, I look at people. out by skeeved heteros? Skeeved out by Absolutely. <laughs> okay, yes. I get That's it. Okay. I get yep. it. It yep. doesn't affect me or what. I'm not like, oh, you mm-hmm. are heterophobic. I don't, right. well, like, I don't and care. It, and like, if, if you were a gay person and you thought uh, it was super duper sexy to watch heterosexual people have sex, you'd probably mm-hmm. just be heterosexual, right? Mm-hmm. And the right. same thing, I would think it would apply to straight people who are, if you were super, you thought it was super hot to see <laughs> yeah. two men have sex, you'd probably just have sex with men, yeah. right? Like, as there's no laws against it, you can do it if you if you think it's awesome, you can just do it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why that's what a sexual preference was. It was supposed to be mm-hmm. at one to, time. Yeah. It was okay to. It doesn't seem have like a sexual there, preference. It, honestly, does sexual preference exist anymore? Because it, it used to, to be. That's no. my sexual preference. But it's one no has been declared superior to all others. <laughs> but I mean, you it's can't now, have a preference anymore. One is just better. I, I don't. Maybe that's. It? I don't know. I mean, it, it's just better. It's built into you now, though. It's not a preference because a preference. No, design, it's not. It's, no, it's not. It's you're born that way, you, so it's not a questioning, preference. Questioning. Questioning. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'm. I'm. I thought I'm, Q was queer or and questioning. Queer and questioning. Well, have yeah. you seen the what is her name? Tig Notaro or something? Oh my god! Of course uh, I have. have you seen, she's got a comedy special. Really, she's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, on uh, Netflix. Okay. Is she bouncy? Bouncy fun? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I only know but, one other Tig. Uh, uh, okay, you're yeah. talking Tigger. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this particular Tig is is lesbian, and uh, is her a lesbian? And her her <laughs> wife believed her whole life that she was hetero until she met Tig, and that was her first homosexual uh, encounter. Mm-hmm. And now she's gay. So. 
was she born that way and just made a mistake for the first 29 years of her life? I, I don't know. I don't know, but... That's uh, an interesting question. Yeah. Interesting uh, she just question. messed up for 29 years. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Because it wasn't one of those they, situations they where she... they openly tell that story that, you know, she thought she was hetero. So she, it wasn't one of those stories where, and we've heard this many times, where someone who grew up and always had these feelings towards, let's say, other women... But then and somebody then, tried to pray the gay they, out right? of them. They, pray, yeah. they, they prayed the gay out, and they mm-hmm. were heterosexual for a while, and then they finally found their true calling, right? That's the normal mm-hmm. story. This yeah. is one where she actually didn't find her... She right. would believe she was heterosexual, and then just... Yes. And then just fell in love changed. with a, a woman. So she just messed up for the first 28, 29 years. People make mistakes. Yeah, they do. You know? And she made a lot of them, apparently. Apparently a lot yeah. of mistakes. What are the odds <laughs> that you've made a mistake? That I'm actually gay? Yeah. And I've just been married to a woman you for haven't 36 watched, years? You haven't watched a good <clears throat> gay man-on-man film. <laughs> <laughs> And I haven't. You haven't. Weirdly wow. enough. Yeah. So, so you so don't admit it. really know. He's you admitting admit. your narrative. <laughs> I mean, he's just admitted your narrative. <laughs> you might be on to something. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to explore that. Yeah. Now. I'm going to explore that. You and... I may have screwed up for 55 years. Yeah, you and Joy Reid might have a lot in common. <laughs> You're strangely skeeved out by that. What we're uh-huh. saying is on today's Pat Gray Unleashed on the Blaze Radio TV <clears> networks, <throat> there could be a closet door opening a little bit. <laughs> just a crack. <laughs> just a crack. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just saying. I'm pretty excited. This is going to be a good show. Yeah, thanks. You never <laughs> woking me. Yeah. What? Uh, what? Uh, what is the uh, main thing that you think is important other than your homosexuality? <laughs> Does anything else matter? Uh, I'm going to talk about the teen activists wanting to lower the voting age to 16. Oh my! So not only are our friendly uh, friends from. Um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High trying to get uh, the Second Amendment repealed, but also you want to lower the voting age to 16. Why do we do it? Terrific idea. Why do we do it at like eight? Yeah. Mm, You know what I mean? That mm -hmm. way the teachers Mm -hmm. can just, they can, we already have voting booths in schools. That's right. So like uh, the, the teachers can teach them about the system and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. who should you know who they might want to consider voting for right and then just line send up send them in that is great yep, thank great. you we're, we're going to hear that on the uh, pat gray extravaganza coming up in just a few minutes only on the blaze radio and tv network all right hey, let me ask you this Stu. was there a spike in bitcoin this week uh, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know that I would call it a spike because it's it would be following following a uh, a, a rough couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So it did it did go up from its lows. However, what's it at? Uh, I'm surprised. I'm surprised because this week the world had a massive shock. Massive shock. It's about seventy six hundred. However, it had fallen to about seven thousand. So it is up about ten percent, almost ten wow. percent this week. It's 10%. Only 10%. I, know, I, know I mean, say. it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, listen, you need to think out of the box and be able to um, get your arms around the world that is coming our way. You know, I, I, you will not recognize the world in 2030. You just won't. Tika Tawari he uh, is from the Palm Beach letter. He is probably one of the biggest experts on uh, on investing in in crypto. 
And he was in the office, I don't know, sometime, I think, before Christmas. And we were talking to him about, you know, crypto and cryptocurrency and what did he think? And he was talking about stuff and it, it was running circles around us. We we're like, I don't even know what that is. And so we asked him if he could put together a course on what cryptos are, how they work, which ones he would recommend. How do you buy them? How do you sell them? What what is what is the world of cryptocurrency? What what does it really look like and why is it important? So he set this course up because he was so great just explaining it to us that he put this exclusive Glebeck course up right now. It's smartcryptocourse.com. Go there now, smartcryptocourse.com, or you can call 877-PBL-BECK. That's 877-PBL-BECK, smartcryptocourse.com. Hey, Hands on History is uh, being released today. Um, you, all you have to do is go to uh, the Blaze Facebook page or uh, also... Uh, I think it's uh, YouTube, the Blaze YouTube uh, channel. Hands on history. Uh, it uh, is premiering, and it's a, it, they're shorts that we take the actual artifacts from history and and connect history to today. And so there's no memorization of facts and dates and wars and all of that. It's just what does this mean to us today? Yeah, it's really good. I, I hadn't seen it until just... Oh, you hadn't seen it? I'd seen, you know, little bits and pieces as yeah. it was being put together, but I hadn't seen the final thing. It came out great. Yeah, it's really... It's very, very different and uh, and uh, and and something that I think the whole family can enjoy. Hands-on history. It is at uh, youtube.com slash theblaze. Uh, it will be first episode, I think, or the trailer. I'm not sure which is coming out today. I think it's first episode uh, is premiering uh, today. Which brings us to the... Um, museum yesterday I was out uh, um, Dave Rubin came in and he walks into the office and he said I have heard so much about the collection of history that you have here and he said and just to walk into your office uh, and uh, we were preparing for the museum so we have all kinds of items that are coming in uh, and uh, and that we're taking a look at and trying to narrow things down. And in my office yesterday was the cup of the carpenter from the last scene of Indiana Jones and the uh, Holy Grail. Um, uh, the ruby slippers, um, Darth Vader's mask from A New Hope, uh, the Thomas Paine letter to franklin saying i'm i'm not an atheist you guys have misread this all of these things and he was like and i said oh i gotta take you upstairs i gotta show you what's in the vault and everything else i mean it's incredible the stuff that you're going to be able to see and i don't think i think the darth vader mask uh and the thomas Paine letter i think are going to be on display and the rights and responsibilities kind of are our uh, a sneak preview and a uh, temporary exhibition of maybe a, a fifth of what we have uh, in items uh, and done in a, if you've ever been to any of our museums, they're always great. This one, I think you're really going to enjoy. We've kind of upped our game on this uh, and you can grab your tickets. It's happening June 15th through the 17th. And this one is to really show you what our rights are here for what our responsibilities are to keep them and why 
why they're uniquely American and why this has changed the world. You want to come, and it's great for Father's Day. It's Father's Day weekend. MercuryOne.org slash museum 2018. I'll be there. We'll all be there all throughout the weekend, and we would love to see you. You can get general admission tickets, or you can you know, just uh, buy into one of the special tours uh, that one of us will be giving. Uh, and it's, again, at MercuryOne.org slash museum 2018. Perfect for Father's Day weekend. We'll see you there. Glenn, back. Mercury.